Welcome to The Well, a podcast all about living wisely and faithfully as a follower of Christ. The goal? To give you guidance, food for thought, and to encourage you as you engage the people and situations that you encounter daily. Now, here's your host, Sean Barkley. AJ Barkley. Um, I have once again taken over Sean's podcast. I was thinking maybe we should rename this to The Woman at the Well. No. 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 Okay. Okay. Anyway, um, so coming coming at you from uh, Cincinnati here at the church, and I have some friends with me today, Phyllis and Jim Null. I'm so excited that they're here. Us too. Thank you for inviting us. Yes. Yes. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So glad. How are you all doing today? We're doing great. Yep. Kind of a kind of a rainy, cloudy day, typical Ohio Valley, but we're doing great. Yeah. Good. It is. It is kind of like yeah. A little overcast, but where's summer? When's summer coming? We're <laughs> next, ready. Next week. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I asked Jim and Phyllis here because, well, a few things. They're, they're our friends, and we just saw you all on Memorial Day. Yep. Yep, at yep. the Memorial Day Parade in Lachland, yep. where you live. Yep. yep. And um, we, I currently am reading a book along with our mission team called When Helping Hurts, and I You know, I don't even know how to start to describe this book. There are just so many concepts in this book. So I, and I got the book from you. Thank you. Very generous. You're welcome. (laughs) This copy. Um, So I thought I would start, would you mind, like if you were to give like a, a, in a nutshell, describe this book, what would you say about this book? Yeah, this is, this is a great book. We uh, actually ask all of our board members to read it uh, when they come on our board and we've given away. 30, 40 copies probably. Oh and so there are some key takeaways in this book. And and uh, Phyllis, jump in here. and you, you have a better memory of content than I do and, and share your uh, key takeaways. Okay. Typically, when people are doing ministry outreach or missions in the United States especially, um, we just go into an area that we target that needs our help. Um, we may just go in for a day or maybe for a week mission trip and we go in and do relief, help you know people that are there, mm-hmm. do things like that. Um, we give things away. We give a lot of things away here in the United States. Um, and so there's really no buy-in from the people. And so this book actually came out of the fact that we have really misrepresented Christ um, through our mission and ministry a lot of times because we are going in and just giving people things rather than, you know, giving them, for instance, the, you know, the salvation message so that they can come to a wholeness in their life. When Helping Hurts addresses the fact that, you know, with us continually giving things away free, um, people often develop an entitlement mindset. They wait for the missionaries to come or ministry outreaches to come so that they can get free stuff. And they really don't have any what we call skin in the game. And this is really um, a problem because it takes away people's dignity. We believe that God has designed people with gifts and talents and abilities to be um, productive citizens and, um, you know, just giving into their community, giving into the lives of other people. And um, if we just come in and continue to give things away free, then people don't understand that God has um, a specific design on their lives. And, you know, there are things that he expects out of them. 
So this is, this is kind of the crux of When Helping Hurts. It talks about how we've misrepresented missions and ministry, you know, mainly in America, but uh, overseas also, mm-hmm. and uh, what we need to do to kind of correct that. Yeah. yeah, and so when we think about When Helping Hurts, it's, it's, it's about poverty alleviation, and we almost instantly, typically, especially for the church, uh, we typically go to, I'm going to solve this problem, or mm-hmm. I'm going to alleviate po- poverty by giving things away to people, uh, and that's called relief, and there certainly is a place and a time for relief, but it's not a long-term solution, as Phyllis mentioned, it, it, doing that long-term steals an individual's dignity, and it also creates an entitlement. And and eventually, uh, if you continue to provide relief, you are enabling poverty rather than relieving mm-hmm. poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing that comes to my mind also is the fact that um, when we speak of poverty in America especially, we immediately go to a lack of finance, yes. usually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. People need to go get jobs so that they can generate some money. If you understand the scriptures, we all are living in poverty. Um, you know, we have we have poverty of spirit. We have you know financial poverty. We have emotional poverty. We have um, poverty of relationship with people. It it shows itself in different ways. And so, when we speak of poverty and poverty alleviation, it is not just the financial or the material component that people need it is all it's a holistic approach of what god wants to give holistic with a w yes what god has to give for a person so that they can live wholly and completely in him yeah i think just when you first read these concepts or you're first introduced it's Mm mind-blowing it is um Mm -hmm. how did you all first get turned on to this that's a real long story. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we won't go yeah, into we'll, it. We'll, no, I don't think we've got enough time yeah. here. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the condensed version today. Yeah, the condensed version was Phyllis was working in the inner city of Louisville, Kentucky mm-hmm. um, through a life skills organization. And most of your clients were people who were living in poverty, right? Right, right. right. Yes, we were working mainly with um, single moms. It was the ministry that I worked in, the Life Skills Center, was actually connected to our pro-life clinic. And most of the moms had come into the clinic for ultrasounds, and they had you know, chosen to save their babies, but they found that they needed um, you know, like, for instance, GED, or they needed financial help, or they needed... Um, you know, some kind of education, some kind of, education, some kind yeah. of counseling. And so the Life Skills Center was developed as a result of that. And actually, when I was working at the Life Skills Center, I saw the flip side of When Helping Hurts because they were actually doing several things within the construct of this ministry that was really helping hurting these single moms living in poverty rather than helping them. Mm-hmm. They were giving away a lot of things to these moms. The moms felt like they didn't have any responsibility, um, even to the point where they weren't taking care of the property, where they came into our classroom or into the building. They weren't even helping take care of anything. They just came to get. And um, so, you know, as we developed, you know, our mindset toward this, we were kind of like, this is not... This is not being productive in the lives of these people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. It's hurting them. And so we started really looking at what are we doing that's hurting? How can we really 
um, help people, you know, to thrive. And so when Helping Hurts was one of the books that was introduced to us, you know, as we were processing through this, and it has really been life-changing for us and for our ministry in Lockland. And at the same time, I was with a ministry called Global Community Health Evangelism Network, Mm -hmm. which is overseas predominantly in the village setting. The U.S. version of that is called Collaborative for Neighborhood Transformation, mm-hmm. Neighborhood Transformation. Mm-hmm. And so this was also one of the required readings for people in that organization. And so yeah. we got connected with that mm-hmm. whole thinking and philosophy of neighborhood transformation. Mm-hmm. Have you, and I want to get to Lachlan, but have you been overseas and done overseas ministry? Um, just short term. Okay. I've been to Guatemala and I've been to okay. uh, Thailand. Okay. Okay. Just short term. Most of our most of our efforts have been in the urban environment of the United States. Yeah. So you're in Lockland now, mm-hmm. which, if you're not familiar, is uh, just north of Cincinnati. Can you give just a few stats? Just describe in case somebody's not familiar sure. with Lockland. Yeah. So Lockland, uh, in Ohio, if a, a community's population is below 5,000, it's called a village. And so Lockland is about 3,300 people. So it's the village of Lockland. And it's today. It's a diverse community. We have uh, West African immigrants. We have uh, predominantly Guatemalan in- immigrants from Central America, and we have some other countries represented as, as well. Uh, Lachlan previously had a wonderful reputation of being one of the best places to live in the mm-hmm. city of Cincinnati or the Cincinnati area. How long ago was that? Uh, that say? was in like the 70s, 60s, 70s, and uh-huh. 50s. And mm-hmm. yeah. uh, very wealthy community, lots of industry. But over time, as industry changed, as interstates were built and industries left, uh, churches left, people in the village left, the population went from about 5,000 down to 3,300. But the big number is that we used to have around 15,000 workers who came into the village every day. Uh, at that time, it was a city every day and worked, and all of that left as well. And so the economy kind of crumbled. And so today, it's, it's considered uh, an urban poor community. Um, it currently, uh, if I remember correctly on the statistics, uh, the unemployment rate is about 17% and poverty is about 37%. Mm-hmm. It, it is a diverse, mixed community, Afro-Americans, immigrants, white Americans, um, and there are quite a few people who have lived all of their life in Lachlan, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And mm-hmm. we have this one lady down the street who's a hundred years old and she's lived all but three years of her life in the village of Lachlan. In the same house or same? Different house, different mm-hmm. house. And everybody who's lived there for any time knows who they she know. is. They know, yeah. her, know her by her <laughs> nickname. So we have our own school. You want to talk a little bit about yes. school? Yes. Uh, we do have our own school district. We, um... The village of Lockland is only 1.2 square miles, and so all of our school children walk. We do not have busing. Um, grades K through 12 are all in one building under one roof. There are about 600 students currently, K through 12. Um, we have a very diverse population within the school. Several, I mean, there are a lot of the students that don't speak any English that are going to our English 
only English-speaking school, um, trying to learn under under the the teaching of their you know their leaders there. And several of the teachers have told us how frustrating it actually mm-hmm. is trying to work yeah. with the kids because they can't speak English. So um, we do have we are a self-contained government also in Lachlan. We have our own mayor and our own village council, and so everything is pretty much contained there, which makes things. Um, easy on one hand and difficult on another. Yeah. We do have a really great government and a really great school and our leadership and we're connected with all, all of those people and we, they work alongside of us and help us and we work alongside them and help them. And It's kind of a unique urban environment because in a lot of urban environments you have a lot of conflict going on and, and we don't have that kind of conflict that you experience in many urban environments. Everyone's working to improve the community. Mm -hmm. I love how much you say we, and you are definitely a fabric, you know, of the community. Mm -hmm. When people ask me, you know, about my friends, Jim and Phyllis, I I describe you as urban missionaries. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's correct or not, but Mm -hmm. I mean, you definitely were called to live Mm -hmm. in Lachlan. You don't have some sort of no. tie Mm-mm. to Lachlan other than just being called by God, yes. like, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's the phrase we use also, urban missionary. And um, you know, we've, we've lived in Lachlan just over four years now. And we one of our core values of what we do in ministry is that um, we don't want to be outside experts coming into a community telling them what to do. We want to be a part of the fabric of the community. So we moved into the village of Lachlan. We purchased a home there. I often tell Phyllis... Uh, I'm staying here. This is where I'm dying. Is in this house, and so um, and we we moved into the community and became a part of what's happening there, because God God was already in the village of Lachlan. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought us there to partner with Him with what He wants to accomplish, mm-hmm. and, and so our mindset as we moved into the village was to come alongside of the village and ask people who live in the village from. Uh, our political government leaders, police officers, firemen, schools, and residents, what can we do together to improve this community? Mm-hmm. And pick out maybe the top four or five of those items and say, let's work on these together. Mm-hmm. So. I have so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right ahead. laughs> so I'm going to divert just a teeny bit, but when we think about call and you, you being called by God um, to live in Lachland, how do you know, how do you, Jim and Phyllis, mm. know, how do you know when you're being called? Mm. I think so many of us are like, oh, I wish I had just like some big sign. I wish I knew what God wanted me yeah. to do next. I wish there was a billboard on the highway. Yes. Turn left. Yeah, burning bush, you know, <laughs> yeah. audible voice. But what, how did you know that you were called to Lachlan? How did mm. it? Um, actually, when we moved back home to Cincinnati five years ago, we came home and told our home church, which is also our commissioning church into missions, that we were coming home to be urban missionaries, that we wanted to work um, in an urban setting. And so from that point on, when we moved home, we started looking at all of the marginalized communities that we could come up with here in Cincinnati. And we just moved from community to community, looking at different houses. Um, Our real estate agent was totally long patience with us because we probably looked at 40 houses um, in different communities and 
we just kept asking the Lord, where do you want us? Where do you want us? And we kind of had in our minds that we wanted to live in a self-contained community with their own government, their own school system. Um, so in our minds, city bus route. Yeah, on, on the city yeah. on the city bus line. Um, so in our minds, we kind of had a checklist that we were looking for, but we didn't know what community that was going to be. Um, because we weren't as familiar with uh, Cincinnati because we'd been away for 14 years Mm -hmm. when we moved back five years ago. And so we just kept asking the Lord, Lord, where do you want us? Where do you want us? And um, lo and behold, um, he placed us in Lachlan. And we know for a fact that he placed us in Lachlan because the the buying of our home, just the the time the timing of it, it the circumstances mm-hmm. everything pointed us right to Lachlan and us doing ministry there and so it I think AJ when you were asking you know how do you know that we were called um, when we came back and we told our sending church you know um, we're coming home to be urban missionaries we already knew that God had placed that on our hearts mm-hmm. and a lot of that that love and that passion that we have for urban missions came out of my work in the inner city of Louisville. I mean, I told Jim, I can't tell you how many times the work that I was doing in the inner city of Louisville, it was my sweet spot. And I knew that the Lord had called me to that. And it was every day I said, God, why do you allow me to do such amazing hard work? And it was so fulfilling. And so when we came back, that's kind of what we had on our mind. And the Lord has just opened that door for us in Lockland. Mm-hmm. And many other doors, door after door after yeah. door. Yeah. It's been astounding. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that too because, you know, of course I feel called to be where I am. Right. And it was very clear cut and I've never questioned that. Yep. And when I think about calls and just knowing which direction, you know, the Lord wants me to go, I think I kind of have a little bit of a formula in my mind. And you just you just hit it all. Yep. Open doors versus mm-hmm. closed doors. Yep. What's in your heart? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is it scriptural? Right. It's aligned with right. scripture. Yes. And then your friends, I think you mentioned you went back to your church and mm-hmm. they were embracing this. Yes. And so yeah. do your Christian friends support it as well? Absolutely. And, yeah. And yeah. so when those things are aligned and you're in his presence, you just mm-hmm. you just know. You know. You do. You just know. <laughs> oh. Which is which is so great. Um so you're in Lachlan. You know you're supposed to be there. You kind of touched on this a little bit. You're coming alongside folks in Lachlan, but sure. What's, what's the what's the goal? Is there a goal, or is it yeah. the process? Or there there is a goal. You know, we we have this uh, this personal vision for Lachlan that um, God's name is glorified. That mm. that God is known. There's a verse of scripture that talks about God being known throughout the land, and this is mm-hmm. what we want for our village and 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 for the surrounding communities that God is known and God is glorified. And so, you know, we're often asked, well, how does that happen? And, and, you know, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to make that happen. He's the power behind all of that. But our our big thing when we move to the village of Lachlan is that we ask the Lord uh, to help us fall in love with the village of Lachlan. Mm. And so in doing that, he, he directed us to do a few things, which we started yeah. walking the communities. Yeah, we, uh, we spent a lot of time um, just walking. 
I mean, not only for exercise, but we were stopping. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of prayer walking. We stopped and introduced ourselves to businesses, business owners, um, just people on the street, other residents. And we got the reputation of, oh, you're that couple that walks. (laughs) And so um, what, what this actually did was for our first two years, it helped us to lay a foundation of being connected with people. We, we built a strong relationship foundation. We did that with the government. We did that with the schools. We did that with other residents. And so um, we did that with pastors in their churches. We've, we've visited, you know, several of the churches and worshiped with them so that we, you know, had a relationship. We think that the key component for anything to be successful in God's economy and in his kingdom is relationship building. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what we'd spent our first two years doing was just building relationships. Once we had that going, we had the connection. We decided that, um, and we had, we had asked a lot of people what they felt needed to be done in Lachlan to help change the dynamic there. Mm-hmm. You know, people have been really despairing really feeling hopeless, especially the, the people that are, we call lifers. Um, they have seen the, um, the community go downhill. And so we ask a lot of people, you know, what can be changed? What needs to be done here? And so fortunately, when we came, we did have some um, classes that we could offer, some adult education classes. And we actually started with a finance class that is actually biblically based. It's called Faith and Finances. And we opened um, an adult education class at the school. And we actually taught this at the school. And so um, then we added the ESL component because we have a lot of immigrants that are living in the village that can't speak English. Mm -hmm. So we added an ESL class, English as a second language. And so we started, you know, having different curriculums available. Computer training. Computer training. There are Mm -hmm. people that would love to get jobs and they have no idea how to use a computer. So Jim's been doing some computer training with them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just a little bit at a time, you know, we were adding just different curriculums, you know, and we're able to start reaching into the lives of people in the community by, you know, by teaching these mm-hmm. courses. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time building relationships. So back to yeah. When Helping Hurts. Yep. At the beginning of When Helping Hurts, the authors talk about when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered the world, that there were broken relationships, the relationship between man and God, man and man, man and creation, man and himself. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, for God to be glorified in all things of his creation, those relationships need to be restored. And so we see a big part of what we're doing is restoring relationships between uh, ethnicities, mm-hmm. restoring relationships between neighbors, restoring relationships between people and God himself. Mm-hmm. And, and we look again back to holistic. We look at that as holistic with a W as one whole solution to the problems of mankind. And that is the heart being transformed by Christ. Without the heart being transformed, uh, communities won't transform. But the other side of that is if someone's heart is transformed, then their household potentially can be transformed, Mm -hmm. their street, their block, their neighborhood, their whole village. Mm -hmm. So that's the big vision. Yeah. And and I love the concept. I mean, it really, I love the concept of, of, pretty much issues being a result of broken relationships. Those yes. four areas that you mm-hmm. yes. mentioned. And so we're talking about coming alongside people and helping restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it, I think 
it can feel like, or, or we might can struggle with, what's the difference between feeling like we're fixing people yes. and restoring yeah. relationships? Do you ever, right. like, how do you, talk, can you talk about that? Yeah. So, so when Helping Hurts also talks about uh, what they call the God complex, mm-hmm. that's the idea is that I can go in and fix people. I, I am going to save people from mm-hmm. the things that uh, they're struggling with. And, um, you know, we, we hear a lot from the people in uh, immediately surrounding where our ministry location is, is that uh, people don't care about us. We're forgotten. We are abandoned. And, and so we have in our history a lot of churches who've come in to work in our neighborhoods as their mission outreach. And so one of the things we always say to everyone who wants to come and volunteer is, come on and volunteer, but if you're going to start something, we want you to stay, give it a year at minimum. We want you to be there and finish what you start, not just come in for two weeks and feel good about what you've done and walk mm-hmm. away and leave people abandoned. Wouldn't you say that's right? Yeah. yeah. How yeah. do you see people, and how do you see that changing, Phyllis, with what we're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge component. Um, as Jim mentioned, the and I think that this is probably across the board in most urban um, settings is there has been a lot of abandonment in people's lives, not only, you know, just in the community, but in their personal lives, they've, you know, been in bad relationships, they've been abused, you know, they've been left, they've been, mm-hmm. and the abandonment issue is huge. And even the church has yes. abandoned. Well, and I was just going to say, yeah. yeah. And, and the church has also been a part of this, which is really sad. Um, you know, because I said, you know, I think that the church has really misrepresented Christ in a lot of ways to people, you know, that we are, we do have a permanent solution for them. You know, if their heart has changed, like Jim said, their life is going to be changed. They're going to change the life of the people around them. And so, um, especially where we're working right now in the village, um, people know that we're there to stay. We've developed relationships with them. They know that we are there because we love them and we want to, you know, we want to help them. And we, you know, we are known by name and we know people by name Mm -hmm. and we are in relationship. We want these people to know that they will not be abandoned. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so, and and it's, and it's been true. Um, We've come through a period of history in the U S church where we've done lots of short term mission trips where we kind of go somewhere and uh, have a great trip and come back. And so one of the tenets of When Helping Hurts is that with good intentions, we go wanting to help, but our help ends up hurting rather than helping Mm -hmm. um, because we take things away from the local community or we create expectations within a community that uh, we don't meet or can't meet. Um, We build relationships and then we disappear. We go away for many years for a lot of people who go on short-term mission trips that's the only short-term mission trip they do mm-hmm. and, and so we're trying to make more than a beachhead within uh our village of Lachlan we're trying to create a permanent presence there where we can take people to the point where they will accept Christ but go beyond that because bringing them to salvation in Christ is one thing but going beyond that and building disciples is a whole nother thing and disciple building, as we saw how Jesus worked with the apostles, is a long-term effort mm-hmm. in a 
in a constant direction and it's an effort that involves deep relationships to where someone can call you on the phone and say, hey, I need to go to the grocery store. Don't have a car. Are you available? And you go help them go to the grocery mm -hmm. store and use that time to try to try to just pour more of a changed life into them. And I'm wondering, um, with regard to relationships, being a part of this village and having relationships with folks, how have mm. they maybe um, helped restore the relationships in your lives? Mm. Because it's not, I think that's another tenet of the book, it's not one way. Again, we're not going in and fixing. So mm -hmm. what about you all? Have you felt your faith has grown from yeah. being there? Go ahead. I would say, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pointing to Phyllis saying, go ahead. And she's yeah. saying, go ahead. You know, we ha I had this interesting conversation with a man recently. Uh, I was telling him about some of the things God is doing in the village of Lachlan. And he said, oh, I wish I had such faith. And I said, brother, it is not such faith. It's who my faith is in. It's not about how much of it I have. It's, it's in God. And, and our faith has been strengthened amazingly because of the things that God is doing mm. and the doors that he is opening. And it's, if we had a long time to tell you all the details, it would, <laughs> it, you'd either be excited or bored to death. But, but it's just, it really has been truly, truly amazing. And the, the thing that really caught me off guard that I was not expecting was how many churches who have engaged with us uh, have come to us and said, thank you. And, we, and I said, no, we should be thanking you. You're helping us. And, and he said, no, we want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to live out our faith. And we thought, I thought, wow, I didn't expect that. Uh, and, and we have one guy in particular, Walter, whom we just love. And he, he donates us to us every now and then. And he always says, thank you for giving me an opportunity to give. I just think, wow, this is amazing, you know. So sometimes you go in thinking, you know, I'm God has called me to do this and not realizing that he's shaping you mm -hmm. and molding you and turning you into the image mm -hmm. of Christ and you didn't expect it, mm -hmm. didn't expect this again. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. This is kind of along those lines. This is This is deep, okay? So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, do you think, when we think about the materially poor, do you think us, you know, middle class Christians who aren't suffering from a lot of obvious broken relationships, are we more broken or, or are we as broken? Are they more broken than we are? Are we as broken or are we just broken in different ways? You're, you're yes. smiling, yes. Phyllis. Actually, we're grinning at each we, other yes. here. We are all broken. <laughs> That's a great question. We, we are all broken, and we are broken in different ways. Mm -hmm. And poverty exposes a lot of yes. um, ugliness, and it's like yes. it's like levels the playing field because they can't hide behind things. They are fully exposed, mm -hmm. you know, because they don't have nice houses. They don't have mm -hmm. nice clothing. They don't run around with nice people. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're fully exposed. Um, you know, middle-class America, they can really hide a lot of things. They can mm -hmm. hide behind a lot of things. They can hide their brokenness a lot. And we might say, yes, we know we're broken. Exactly. But. Yes. So. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's been very interesting. And actually that's another thing I think that, um, 
Jim and I have learned, you know, about our own brokenness in this process, you know, that yes, you know, everyone that we come in contact with is broken. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we're, we're all living in a broken state outside of Christ. And, um, it's important to, to approach ministry from an understanding of your depravity before mm-hmm. God, your own personal depravity before mm-hmm. God. The last thing we would ever want to do would be to approach someone with the idea that we're better than them because we've got means or because our life looks cleaner. Um, we're not. We, we, have, we have deep, dark closets. Mm-hmm. We all do. And, and, and we're, all, we're all broken. All of creation is broken, and the need for God is for everyone. I share sometimes with people, I don't know if this statistic is true today, but it probably is. Uh, when we were living in Louisville, Kentucky, the highest drug-focused county, Kentucky is all about counties. So the, <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know I'm in Kentucky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the, high, the, the county with the most drug activity, you would think would be the county that Louisville was in, which was Jefferson County, or that mm-hmm. Lexington was in, was Fayette County, mm-hmm. you know, the big cities. Um, but it wasn't. It was Oldham County. Oldham County is north of Louisville. But Oldham County had also the, the what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The notoriety yes. of being the wealthiest county in the state. Mm-hmm. But yet they had the worst drug problem in the state. Mm-hmm. I believe that. You know, mm-hmm. And so a lot of people say, well, that's because they had the money and could afford it, which is true. But also, that just points out the fact that just because you're poor doesn't mean you're godless. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run into many people who know the gospel quite well, who are very involved in churches, and they're just they're just not materially blessed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we run into people who aren't materially blessed, who are grateful that they are not, mm-hmm. and very happy that they are not. And one of the things we have learned from those who are poor is that they will give you anything they can give you if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they give freely of their possessions and of mm-hmm. their belongings um, because they really know the struggles that people place. So, so caution I always give to people when coming to work in uh, urban poor environments is, is to not think yourself better. And that's one of the tenets of When Helping Hurts, is to not think yourself better just because you have financial means, but to consider yourself as to where you are in God's eyes, as equally depraved mm-hmm. and as equally needing a savior. That's an easy one for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, as far as like feeling like I am not a good person. <laughs> I don't know what that says. <laughs> we, need to, we need to hear from Sean now. <laughs> yeah, that I can totally, I can totally grasp um, that concept. That's a whole other story. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Why do you ever feel lonely? Why aren't more people doing what you're doing? I think I shared with you before we we started something that's been on my mind. um, And I I looked it up right before Matthew 9. I think it's in Luke 2. But the scripture about the harvest being ripe, but Mm -hmm. the laborers are few. And, you know, you got this call to come to Lachlan, but you're you're the exception. I mean... Mm -hmm. Why aren't more people doing it? Is it because that God is God not calling that many people? Is he is he a God of like few numbers? Like he's only got the twelve close, you know, the twelve <laughs> disciples and the three inner. Or is it that he's calling more people and we're just so like self focused? We don't 
hear the call. We don't, or we choose not to respond to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a pretty, it's kind of a brutal question, but I'm curious yeah. what you think. Yeah, that, that's a great question. In yeah. fact, Jim and I talk a lot about that. Um, um, I, I think in America, especially we're very comfortable, mm-hmm. um, you know, with our, with our creature comforts here, you know, we want a nice home. We want a nice neighborhood. We want a safe neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We want nice friends. And so to step out of that is risky. I mean, people are constantly saying to us, you guys really live on the edge. And we're like, on the edge of what? You know, I mean, it's kind of like, we don't feel like we're living on the edge because we feel like we are right in the center of God's will for our lives. Mm-hmm. And, but we do, we do think that, um, I do think that there are people that are being called that are pushing back with God because they don't want to give up their comforts. Mm-hmm. They don't want to step outside of the familiar what they what they think is safe and familiar. Um, what do you think? No, there are else? some there are some people who go, and, and there are some mm-hmm. people who send. And those who get to go really need those people who send. You know, and the, the senders are the prayer team and the financial team, and the encouragers. And we are blessed with so many of those people. But you know, personal experience um, early on in my about halfway through my Christian walk, um, I, I knew God wanted me to do some things. And our church had a missions conference every fall, and and I would refuse to go. Phyllis would go, but I wouldn't go. Why wouldn't you go? Because I knew God would want me to do something. <laughs> <laughs> and so and here we so are. Yeah. So, so if I, and you're paying for it now. Yeah. So, so if I didn't go, you know, I didn't hear him. And so yeah. it was like, I'm staying home. But Phyllis talked me in going to a dessert fellowship, and that was the whole beginning of our of our going down the road of saying, let's just give our life to missions. Mm. And, um, and and I think there are probably lots of believers like that. I think some of it is there. I think also some of it is we are afraid of getting out of what is our normal mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. doing something different. And maybe that's what the edgy thing is. Yeah. Um, but we are. We like we like where we're comfortable. That's where I was. You know, I was like, I don't want to change where I'm at. I'm I'm happy with Mm -hmm. this. And, but you know, God showed me that he has something else that I needed to do. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I believe we're in the last days Mm. and I believe that if the church, those who are, those who love Christ and follow, want to follow Christ, if we don't step up now, um, then we have somehow abandoned God's call on each of us as individuals. Some of us are called to work in an urban community. Some of us are called to burn out their finances for those who do. Others are called to do other things, lead an ESL class, or just talk to people in the checkout line at a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Just talk to them and let the Holy Spirit lead you as to what you should do. And some people are worried that, oh, if I help this person, they're going to walk away with my money. You know, I gave them $100 and I'm never going to see that again. And I say, well, that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's not your money anyway. It's God's money. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to use it. So, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I understand all of those things. And that's why through our ministry that we're, we get the pleasure of being a part. We give people the opportunity to come and just kind of explore how they can be involved mm-hmm. and see what God might have for them. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a tremendous need. 
through I, this need. I love that, um, and, and I want to talk, before we wrap up, I want to talk about the Metanoia Center. Oh, cool. But I love being um, being there with you all at one point. You were talking about how you wanted the front door. Well, let's t- tell them about the Metanoia Center real quick yeah. before I tell the story. Okay. All right. So, um, do, we, do you want to read the card? <laughs> no. <laughs> we've got a card with our 30-second elevator speech on it. Perfect. Yes, there it is. <laughs> that sign. All right. So this is our elevator speech that we had that we were asked to come up with. The Metanoia Center, located in Lockland, Ohio, is a faith-based 501c3 life skills, education, and ministry center focused on equipping individuals with the tools and skills necessary to resource their passion and purpose for a productive life. Our passion at the center is creating relationships that will transform people and the place where they live. Our purpose is to glorify God and restore hope for the broken and hurting. The center provides a safe space for learning, tutoring, mentoring, and gathering. We offer new direction, new life, and new opportunities for wholeness and healing. Nice. So, with with all that, yeah, with with all that said, we we were having holding classes around the village, and I finally said in November of 2019, you know, we really do need to go talk to the mayor and the village administrator and see if we can't find a location for our 501c3, which is called the Metanoia Center. And um, the word metanoia is a biblical term meaning repentance, transformation, change of life. And that's why we named the center that. And so we actually talked to our mayor and um, the village of Lachlan had just inherited a building from Hamilton County and they didn't know what they were going to do with it. And they said, if we wanted the building, we could buy it from them for a dollar. And so our board went down and we looked at this terribly dilapidated building (laughs) that was in very great disrepair. And we all agreed that we could afford a dollar to buy the building. (laughs) Yeah, And, And so we actually purchased that building in February of 2020. And, um, we began the renovation last year, uh, right before COVID hit. Um, for that building. Yeah. So. so one one of the things we say, well, we've adopted the slogan, uh, which we actually borrowed from Neighborhood Transformation. Uh, and the slogan is transforming people in place. And so when we talk about a transformation of a community, it involves not only hard transformation in individuals, but the way the community looks transforms also. And so one of the things we want to do with these, we now have two buildings. Um, that God has blessed us with is to physically transform them uh, into something beautiful, something that would be appealing, something that the community would be proud of. Uh, and so right, right now we tore off the front of one of our buildings. You came and helped us do that. We, we tore off the front. I, I have a scar to show. <laughs> we tore off the front doors, the glass and everything, and we're waiting for the new stuff to come as part of that transformation of that building. And, and we want to, the community to be able to come into the building and find a safe place there. Also a place where students can be mentored and tutored. It will be the place where we do our classes that we have that are all biblically based classes. It'll just be a place for the community to hang out. Uh, we're open to uh, the potential of a church using our building, but not a, an English speaking church. It would have mm-hmm. to be Fulani speaking, Fulani is the language of our West Africans, so it would be a Fulani speaking church or perhaps uh, some other nation 
-hmm. ethnic group that's living in the Cincinnati area that needs a building for a little while. And mm -hmm. So that's just all part of the whole. And some of it is some of our business as missions efforts that we're going to be putting in place, like a, a biblically-based medical clinic and a uh, business as missions model for a laundromat, mm -hmm. all which the community has asked for. Mm -hmm. We asked them what they would like to have, and they said, oh, well, we thought we were going to build a laundromat. And we thought, we weren't thinking about that, but <laughs> since you mentioned it, we'll do that. <laughs> because you were thinking grocery store, right? Yes, we yes. Were. Because yeah. you, that was your needs assessment. Right. Yes. The community yeah. said. Yeah. 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 The community said, we really want a laundromat. We've got uh, a 7-Eleven style store over here that uh, we we're happy with. So it's kind of neat. We've had, last year in 2020, we, we had 170 vol volunteers from more than 10 different churches mm -hmm. come and help mm -hmm. us move 37 tons of debris wow. out of these two buildings. And so we're now at the stage where we're trying to put them back together, mm -hmm. <laughs> which takes longer. So mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. But our, our goals down the road is that the community will be vested into what we're doing rather than us, as I mentioned in the beginning, being outside experts coming in and saying, this is what we're doing. We want the community to come in and say, this is ours. And, and we're seeing that, aren't you? We are seeing yeah. that. We have volunteers from the community who comes in. Matter of fact, we have this one lady who comes uh, and does uh, day labor for us. And and she now talks about the Methanoia Center as we. Mm. You know, we are doing this. Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to help the community. And we're going to do this. And I just, I love that. Mm -hmm. I just love that she has ownership and she's vested with us. Mm -hmm. so. And there are other individuals just like that. Mm -hmm. throughout the community that are coming alongside of us. And that's, to me, that's the real test of successfulness of any urban ministry is that the community comes alongside and starts saying we and us and, and have it, they have ownership, mm -hmm. emotional ownership in what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very important. Mm -hmm. Future and a hope. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably wrap it up, I suppose. I have a, like we I could do this for ten more hours, but um, we would maybe, lose everybody maybe, listening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just extend your walk a little bit longer and get your earbuds in. Um, but maybe we could do this again sometime. We could do a take two. Oh, that'd, that'd be great. great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So, that'd be great. Yeah. So, do we say the name of our ministry, Metanoia yes. Center? Yes. <laughs> and the, and, and the if website. Wanted to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. The website is uh, www metanoiacenter.net. Do you want to spell that? Yes. It's M-E-T-O-N-I-A. No, I did it wrong. You do it. Okay, let me try it. It's M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. That's correct. Yes. And you're on Facebook. Yes, we are on Facebook. And we have a website as well. Check it out for sure. Yeah. Oh, and here comes Sean. You have excellent timing. Do you want to? Say anything? We're we're parting now. Are you really? How'd it go? <laughs> Good. Very well. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm excited well, to hear it. Yeah. And, and thanks for being with us, yeah, whoever's out there today. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Can't wait to hear what you all have to say. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Have a good one.